and original. From Story Studio Network. Uh, once around the park, James, and don't spare the horses. <laughs> I'm not sure why I've added that, but I just bring it up. Feels right, right. Here we go. Look at that. The 26th day of May as we record this edition of On the Ledger Ontario Politics Podcast. Dave Trafford here from Story Studio Network. John Wright from Maru Public Opinion. He may have a thought or two on public opinion as we get through this program. And uh, Keith Leslie, you hear and see him on uh, CH Television out of Hamilton, talking all things Queens Park. Um, just uh, 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 a couple of things as we move on. You see, uh, doors open this weekend uh, is actually going to let people in to uh, see the uh, the governor of uh, the lieutenant governor's uh, chamber at uh, at Queens Park. I think that will be kind of a cool thing. It is. It's a pretty cool place to see. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it is. It's a nice two story apartment within the building, and people don't realize that he, the lieutenant governor actually lives. Yes, yeah. in the building, and uh, as there's also a speaker's apartment. But anyway, it's a very cool thing to see. Uh, and there's some amazing artwork in it. The whole building is yeah, a really cool thing. It is. But that that LG suite is something else. And you want to know the treat of it probably is that she'll be there. I mean, she's... Uh, I was at a conference. Mm. The the There was a summit put on just recently by G Zero Media, Evan Solomon's group. <clears throat> and I had done some polling for them. So it was downtown. And it was about 800 people there. And they had all these speakers. In fact, it finished with the prime minister speaking at the end of the day, all hoity-toity with all of these stakeholders. So I walk in the back of the room about mid-morning and there's this older woman who's just sitting on the, there's a dais with all of the television cameras at the pack. And she's just kind of sitting there with her back to me. And I went, I know that back. And I turn around and it's Elizabeth Doutswell. And she's sitting there just taking it in. At the back, just no front row seat. She, you know, she wandered in. She just, she's as natural and says nice as anybody's great aunt. I mean, and she's just having a, having drinking it all in, learning all about what's going on in the world. So I'll bet you she's there when everybody shows up. She's that kind of a person. Well, you're dropping in on her. It's her really. house, for goodness' sake. Yeah, <laughs> yep. there you go. Open door. So classic. Well, just on this, you know, and you guys will know, you know, the history as well as anybody. But as you guys are talking about that, and, you know, the lieutenant governors have been in the news to some degree because of things like this, ceremonial, and, and we, of course, the passing of David Onley. I don't recall ever having the drama around a lieutenant governor that we have had, it would seem, endlessly around governors general in Ottawa, right? Uh, there really was. Uh, the, the most controversial that I can remember was um, Hillary Weston. Right. And basically because, oh, well, you know, family connections and whatnot. And, you know, that was the biggest, biggest thing worst they could come up I, with. I know. And that was literally, as they say, a nothing burger. It was just nothing there. She did a fine job uh, as lieutenant governor. Uh, as you say, no controversies at all. Whereas on the national stage, the GGs, uh, let's not go there. How's, how's well, that? I'll just say our lieutenant's governor have been very, very good. Yeah. Uh, too excellent. You know, Lincoln <laughs> Alexander. Anyway, we won't, we won't go into them all. David Onley. Uh, and that will be interesting to see in the LG suite where the change is made to accommodate David Onley. 
mm -hmm. as it were several, there including in ele ele yeah. other elevators in the building as well. So uh, it's definitely worth going to see. And, and as John says, the chances of seeing uh, uh, Madame Dodswell there are very strong. Yeah. Very so if you're heading out, that, that might be one of the things you want to do uh, if you're in this part of the world here in uh, Toronto. Doors well, open, we that'll be one of the many attractions. I just think it's a cool concept, this whole doors open thing. It is, uh, especially the Don Jail, the old Don Jail, if you can go there yeah. and see all that. We did that one. <clears throat> but you know what? Um, uh, just on that point, we were reminded this week that the Governor General makes like, what is it, 350000 bucks a year and pays for wardrobe and all that sort of sort of stuff. And it's kind of like, oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. But And she got a $9,000 raise because some, in, you know, some index make, calculates what she's going to get. And you kind of go, well, it's, it's worth it. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, if you go and swing down to um, the Ontario ledge, there's no way she makes that much money. Uh, I mean, you, you, I, David Onley was a good friend of mine because I knew him from university and and kept in touch. And I mean, there's there's two perils that go with that job down at Queens Park. It doesn't pay enough. I mean, if you've got kids in school and you're you're still living in your house and you've got your mortgage and you didn't come from any wealth, I mean. The Westons didn't have to complain about it, but if you're just, you know, without a pension and everything else, it it's tight. It is. It's it's tight. Whereas up in Ottawa, it's flush, and so there's a lot more scrutiny on it. But the second thing that that I I found interesting was once you leave the job, you would think that the lieutenant governor, former who knows everybody, who's got great respect, would be on maybe a couple of boards, maybe a bank board, maybe this or that. They're not. I mean, the best that you they kind of get is maybe you know as david did he went to teach at university of toronto and so you can't really make up with that people don't want to go near you because they don't think they can so i thought you know it's it actually where you may go to ottawa and do a bit of a step up and you know i was when i was in ottawa this past week i'm driving into the city and of course out all of a sudden comes you know one there's no traffic all of a sudden on the other side of the street uh on the parkway leading out to the airport then there's a motorcycle, then there's a gap, and then there's another one, and then there's another one, and there's another one, and then another one, and then it just goes on and on and on. And then there's this cavalcade of the governor general with an ambulance behind everybody's out going to the airport. And you kind of go, that deserves some scrutiny. But at Queen's Park, it's a totally different world. I mean, it's, um, unless, if you're like the current um, lieutenant governor, I think you can probably do just fine. But if you've got a family of three or four kids in university and you've had a modest income and stuff like that, it's a bit of a struggle that no one ever talks about. So maybe that's part of it too. Yeah. I, 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 I it's funny how we, where we put the demand on certain people in public service, particularly those who put their name on a ballot or sit and represent us in a legislature. And we get really snotty about the money that they get paid. We get miserly about it. And, you know, Keith, when you listen to the lifestyle of an MPP, an MP, a city councillor, whoever, um, going above and beyond, I don't care what your political posture is, going beyond, uh, above and beyond is the expectation. Never mind... Well, you know, sort of, there's no nine to five here. Oh, no, you're, you're now a statesman around the clock. Uh, a great example was Lincoln Alexander. Again, someone who did not come from uh, a mm. lot of money, as they say, and whose uh, post-life uh, as a lieutenant governor involved so much public service. I phoned him one time from my Queen's Park office at the Canadian Press, and um, I guess he'd come up just as the Ontario government, you know, switchboard. And because um, Lincoln Alexander answered, I can't remember what I was calling him about, but he answered the phone with, and what? 
can I do for the Ontario government today? <laughs> the last time I saw him was at a Dave Brubeck concert down at uh, at the corner of Queen and uh, University there in the what is the Opera House? Yeah, the Opera House. I was there yeah. at that show. Yeah, and uh, he was he was coming in and um, in his wheelchair, and we, I was with my my son, and f- and he and he's looked at me and said, hello, Dave, how are you? And how is Taylor Parnaby? <laughs> like, and this was years after he had retired, right? Mm-hmm. But but plugged in, what a gentleman, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Just a class act all the way around. All right, so let's take it to the other extreme. We've, we've got all of this um, hyperactivity going on in politics vis-a-vis municipal politics and the province. Last week we had all the drama around the decoupling of Peel being announced, uh, and I and I still think that uh, um, to some degree that is what lit the fuse or fire under Bonnie Crombie to move forward. If she was ever going to make a decision, that's what prompted her. I think to some degree, John, this move, it's like Obi-Wan, you know, strike me down, you make me a more powerful kind of feel to the whole thing. Um this was the catalyst for her to say, I want the job in the legislature to lead the party. Yeah, I, that is. I guess so. Uh, my, um, my initial reaction to what the, what the premier did was actually quite opposite. I thought, and maybe, and I don't, again, my, my political instinct was where they didn't want her in the race and that what they thought was we can, we can make this happen. And as a result, she'll sit on the sidelines cause she'll be too busy being the mayor and everything like that. And so when she came out and was, you know, as feisty as she was, and then she announced that she's going to be exploring and she's going to be in this thing that did surprise me because it looked like she'd been in the box. And I think the premier's reaction, which I thought was over the top, um, and drew attention and sort of said, he's scared of her, yep. <clears throat> was exactly that, was, you know, uh, I put you in a box, you should stay in the box, you should be the, the mayor, and you should look after the people, you know, that cheese has really slid off the cracker on this one. And and I thought, man, that was played wrong. You know, I, Entirely. I, I would have, Entirely. I would have just said, you know what, the more the merrier. If you want to get into politics, God bless you, and just moved on to the next subject. But he made it a big issue, and I thought she was emboldened by that because if you know her personality, you know that that's the stuff that makes her want something more. So she's had a history with this premier. She's as we talked about in the last podcast. She's you know she's poked the bear a number of times, and she's not scared. And this is somebody who's given a platform now. I thought his reaction, I don't know how the Liberal Party can walk away from her at any time soon. And I don't know how she's going to be able to walk away from that um, anytime soon either. So I'd say it's a pretty sure thing that she's, you know, unless there's something lurking in the, the wings that we don't know about, I think she's got a lock on this and she'll be there when it's time to be there. Yeah, I dare say, Keith, that the Premier was the one that was poking the bear here. Holy cow. <laughs> Who in 2023 is going to accuse a woman of having her butt on both sides of the fence? <laughs> no kidding. Not me. Seriously. Holy cow. Uh, and he, then he just went on, right? He said, it's all about Bonnie Crombie. It's all, she's been running for five years. We give her this. She should be looking after the municipality, sitting down, taking care of this. What? Stay in the home of and course. diaper the kids, for God's sake, yeah, right? There's knitting. a clock on the stove, for goodness <laughs> sake. You don't need a watch. Honest to God, like where this came from. And then he funny sort of pivoted to bring it on, the more the merrier, you know, okay, let's campaign. But boy, talk about showing your, your vulnerable throat. Yep. Uh, j- just bearing it there. It, it was stunning. And as for her, 
I, I, I kind of view it Dave's way that she's sort of, well, this is splitting up. This is what Hazel and I asked for. Okay, I'm going to declare victory and move on to the provincial level and ride this all the way out. Uh, well, I'm thinking that she's probably in a really good place. I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. To not even consider finding a seat in the legislature before the next election. Right? I mean, there's what, what, who, who among the eight is going to give up their seat? And what, well, there's no to advantage what, to, to, what to advantage? being there. She can actually sit on the sidelines unencumbered by the mayor's chair in Mississauga after December, unencumbered by what is actually going on in the legislature at Queens Park, and laser-focused on what's going on in Peel, Mississauga, Brampton, Caledon over the next 18 months, and then yeah. starts the campaign to 2026, and here we go. She's got something to run on in a big way. And I, I you know, I heard Steve Clark last week, and I thought, wow, you talk about uh, poking the bear again. When he introduced the legislation, or no, sorry, it was in the question period. Merritt Stiles that morning says to him, something to the effect, how can the people of Brampton, you know, trust you based on the study you did in terms of, of you know, looking at the municipality in Peel, and you did all the study, the study, the study, you never released it. His answer back to her was something, well, it's interesting to note that the leader of the opposition yeah. failed to comment or note the results of the last election, and all of those seats in 905 are blue. They're government blue, and they're cheering for it. And I thought, are you serious? <laughs> you know, here, and then the next thing out of his mouth was, but we want all the municipalities in the province to work together, you know, maturely <laughs> to get this job yeah. done because it's an important thing to do. I think I, I, then I think that, you know, all of a sudden her war room saying, okay, it's on. Off. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally on. <laughs> and you know, for you. you know what to her, I thought her interview with Steve Pakin was, was classically positioned. And the clip that came out of that, everybody had, and look, I go back to the days of, you know, the Bill Davis era when Keith, you and I, and Dave were at the park to witness some of that. This is, a, as she said, look, I'm a fiscal conservative. I'm a socially, uh, you know, progressive liberal. I'm a pragmatic centrist. And it was like, okay, it is on. We're going to take the slice of people who are leaning to the right because they don't like the left. And we're going to plant them back in the middle and we're going to get the liberals and the soft NDP coming along. Like it's, it's, she's going to be, I'm a pragmatic centrist and you can trust me because I've got a fiscal record, which you can count on. You can go and look at Mississauga and how I've managed the place. But I've also got, I'm wearing the red suit like she was and it ain't Santa Claus. It's for the right reasons. And I'm going to be there against this guy who's, you know, taking money out of education and doing this and, you know, all the stuff that he's doing. And it was just a classic kind of phrase, just a small phrase that she used, but it was the clip because it was, honey, the middle of the road is back again and I'm going to manage it. So I meant that that's, that's where she's, she's coming from. And I think that's a good place to start. Well, people are making something of, you know, her using the phrase right of center. And, you know, I'm going to govern from the right. Yeah, she's, she's yeah. backed away from that and, and kind of reiterated the point you've, you've made, John. I did hear her talking to John Moore, um, I guess it was on Tuesday morning. And she made some comment, Keith, to the effect that I'm going to wait to make sure I meet the criteria. Something like that. What could that possibly mean? Is there something within the party regulate? I don't know. I like, it just seemed a strange mm. choice of words. Now, maybe it was just 
you know. She hasn't raised the money yet. I doubt that. Or, or, or uh, we, she hasn't got the signatures. No, I think she's just I can't believe that. Group. I mean, look at that long. There had to be yeah. 35 people on that committee so, list. What criteria she's not meeting, I, I have no idea what she could be referring to in that. Uh, I, I truly don't. I mean, she would seem to, as you say, we all seem to be viewing her just as outside observers, as someone who can walk in and almost lock up this liberal leadership race. Uh, so what criteria? No. <laughs> Even if there was some obscure rule that she didn't meet, the rule would be changed to make sure she did qualify. I mean, let's be honest, they want her in, I would think. Yeah, and I, 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 I begin to think then she was more or less considering from her own perspective whether we are, we're, we've ticked all the boxes internally before we move on. I want, Is she in a place to actually get the, 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 the mechanisms going to sell the memberships? Yeah. So, I mean, outside of 905, I mean, she might be able to sell enough memberships just in 905. But Well, before I get canceled, I was having her call us, honey, not her, me calling her, honey, just for the record. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, you What you get now is very similar approaches to leadership. And that is, I'm going on a listening tour. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, as I said in the last podcast, it'll be interesting to see her in Kenora. It'll be interesting to see the reaction in Moose Bay or someplace up, you know, or Moose Factory or wherever. So, so she's going to get out of her urban kind of place and she's going to be among the population. But she has, I think rightly when she goes, I would have advised the same thing. Put some doubt into it. You know, maybe I don't meet the criteria. You know, I want to listen to people. I, I don't have all the answers. I may be a mayor and I may be a longtime liberal, uh, but I need to be out and learn over the next many, many months what really matters to people. Okay, well, Tim Hudak, hello. You know, Patrick Brown, hello. I mean, you know, Dalton McGinty, not so much, but others have gone in that direction and that's what they'll do. I So I think she's in a good spot to do that, Dave. And I think, of course, you end up with 30-odd people supporting you I'm surprised it's not 130 people who would have been on that list. But those... Well, it was a long weekend, Joe. Yeah, sorry, I mean, yeah. It was on. just like, man, and it came up on the website so quick, right? Like, And then it was down. Thank God it, Sabrina was around to catch it. But it just strikes me that those people will be out selling her memberships. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be 130 people who go... She's the one. I'm out. I want this riding. I'm going to sell it. My future is even being staked on that. You're going to get candidates coming out of the, the woodwork for her. I, I There's also, there, there's a huge liberal base, as we know, but a base that's there to be tapped. Uh, and and the, the, the best sign of it, the big, best significant uh, uh, tangible sign I can see of how strong the liberals are in Ontario is the per vote subsidies are coming out this week. Uh, the Liberals will be getting more than the NDP, the official opposition. Well, these, yeah, but what? That's how, based on the, you know. How many parties, Keith, do you know that can sit at 28% in the polls without having a, anybody for leader and having eight, seven people in the legislature? I mean, it's that's kind of the, that's the level base, right? It's not like you're Jagmeet Singh and you're sitting at 15 and hoping for 20 in the election campaign. These guys are at 28. You need 37 I, for I an think, election? Not nah, she's, she's formidable going in with nothing organized. Absolutely. That's my point. I, I think that liberals are there to uh, to come back to be at least a viable opposition and even, you know, to take on a, a, a two-term Ford government. They're absolutely going to be vulnerable. They already are. Uh, if a strong liberal leader, and she seems to be strong. So they, the, the fact they have 
that much money. The, the, the votes, they got that many votes in 2022. They just didn't get them in the right places, as we know. But there is a massive, strong liberal base. Uh, the, the candidates are going to have an easy time selling liberal memberships, I think. I don't know if they'll get into Patrick Brown territory, but they'll get into some uh, significant numbers. And that's, you know, exactly what this party needs. And as John says, as she approaches it with the, and I'm, you know, I need to learn and I need to understand all the different regions of Ontario. I'm from a city of 800,000, you know, it's, it's a different thing. That, that's a very workable strategy. And having the money behind you to do it is the most important factor. If I only had one piece of advice for Bonnie Crombie, it would be this. Take a look at how Bill Davis talked to people after he got elected and Norman Atkins took over from the campaign and said, you know what? Everybody thinks you're kind of too serious. So, you know, doff the suit, grab the pipe, talk about Brampton Billy and your home roots and stuff like that. I think Bonnie Crombie, who a lot of people don't know, is seen as a force to be reckoned with. I'd be a bit self-deprecating and I'd make some fun of the other people. Like I wouldn't take the premier on as much. I would probably just, you know, kind of say, hey, it, it remember Ronald Reagan? <clears throat> it was kind of like, there he goes again. Uh, I mean, it's one of those kind of off the shoulder saying, well, you know, I'm here and he is too, but I'm going to have some fun with this. I think that's the only piece I'd have. Go and have some fun. Do the barbecue circuit this summer and uh, and make some jokes, but ignore the guy behind the behind the drapes. Don't forget about that. Just move on. I'd be curious to know, uh, see whether or not Bonnie Crombie, whether she's declared or not, shows up or the, the, you know, campaigning in Scarborough to fill Mitzi Hunter's seat because, you know, Gary Crawford has already been appointed as the conservative candidate there. Uh, again, it's a little bit of suck and blow going on here because the premier complaining about Crombie, you know, running for the leadership while being mayor, but it's okay for Gary Crawford to be the budget chief in Toronto while running for an MPP position at Queen's Park. But she's going to have pressure wherever there is an opening, right? Cause, mm -hmm. I mean, the I mean, the premier and others are going to say, so he's scared to get into the race and represent blah, blah, blah. But her fallback is, look, you created the mess in Mississauga, not me. I got to stick around. I got work to do, buddy. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'll have my constituency here. And plus, I want to go out and listen. So bug off. I mean, I, I think that's her fallback. I can't, I'm not going to take time. You created this whole mess. You know, I, I'm going to serve my province and the Liberal Party when time is right. But right now, I'm still rolled up my sleeves. You know, go to the cottage, buddy. Have a great weekend. But I got work to do. I think that's the perfect out for her every single time. Yeah, well, but at the same time where I think they, you know, they've lit a fire under the Liberals vis-a-vis -vis the reaction to Crombie, um, I think that the fight in Scarborough for Mitzi Hunter's seat, Keith, is going to be a little bit more um, heated than we otherwise would have thought. I believe so. I think you're, you're right on this. The Conservatives are obviously taking it very seriously. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, exactly when Doug Ford calls his by-election. Oh. Yeah. Um, the timing will, of course, be crucial. But uh, the Conservatives are coming on strong. Uh, they feel that, uh, you know, they've always, you know, the Ford family in particular has always sort of, you know, spoken up for Scarborough when others didn't. That's their, their, their uh, party brand. That's what they always say. And I think people in Scarborough believe there's some truth to it. So, uh uh, what did uh, Mitzi and the, and, and the Liberals deliver there? Uh, she claims something about the subway. I, I just am confused by everything that happened in the scrub, subway in, in uh, Scarborough. Uh, so, absolutely, this is, this is a chance for uh, the Conservatives to make, you know, another take another red riding away. 
But I think the conservatives as well are having their own issues elsewhere. You know, like the, this uh, this Minden emergency room being closed down. Uh, that's a Laurie Scott's writing. This is such a safe conservative writing, and people are pissed. Mm. They are and they're blaming this government. Even though this government's claiming, you know, our we're hands off. We don't make those decisions. You know, it's a local hospital board. Horseshit. They wouldn't be closing in the air if you didn't allow them to, or if you were funding them properly. So let's deal with that. So I I I, I see these by elections as teeing up, but I I think the uh, uh, the conservatives, you know, while their their strengths in, they're looking in you know, some vulnerabilities of the liberals in one area, they're creating their own vulnerabilities in other areas. Mm-hmm. Doug Ford not on the podium last night for the Toronto Region Board of Trade TVO debate at U of T, but was certainly, uh, you know, there could have been a drinking game the number of times that the Premier's name was, uh, you know, evoked. Um, And it's interesting to see how um, that is playing into some of the politics around this. As I I was in the theatre last night, and I thought, based on the evolution from the first debate at Daily Bread, there have been three or four others that I've kind of dipped into and watched. But to be in the room live, a little different. John, it was interesting to me to look at the uh, the demographic in that room. I would say that the average age was 40 plus, uh, that uh, more women than men. And um, not nearly as diverse a crowd as what we saw on the stage in terms of the candidates and here we are, we're in downtown, the heart of downtown Toronto, right? The University of Toronto campus. And so I would have thought, hmm, this is going to be an interesting dynamic to see how that demographic in the room is responding to what's being said. It, um, you know, anecdotally, almost an equal amount of groaning and laughing and supportive, mild, quiet clapping because Steve sort of laid the, the <laughs> down the ground rules. We can't be interrupting the show for a lot of noise in the room. Um, but you could hear the buzz in the room when you were in the room. There was there was no champion on that stage for that audience. They were very diverse in their own particular points of view or their their interests. The number of times around me, I heard people groaning when a candidate like Matt Lowe was taking a shot at Saunders over his record as police chief. Like people were like, "Ooh, that's bad. That's you just can't be doing that." To, or Mark Saunders was the feel in the room. So it's really curious to see how some of this doesn't, to me, at all reflect these huge gaps in the polls. I mean, there's I, I, I find it really hard to believe that Olivia Chow was going to lead and win wire to wire. Let me channel my Tim Powers to this podcast. Dave, it's so good to know that you have so many people showing up that are just not, you know, they're independent. They're not forced to be there by any political party and take a stand by anybody. I mean, there's no pack in a room in Toronto for any of these municipal election debates, all 103 of them, are there? I mean, for goodness sake, there are going to be a hundred of these things. We have three or four in a day. Forget the fatigue of everybody. I can't imagine being a candidate. That in itself would scare me away for ever running for that office. Oh, my God. Secondly, <clears throat> it's one debate. The, the other culprit in all of this is the public opinion polls, which seem to be determining who even gets on the damn stage. And there's lots of methodology issues with all of that that's going on. But I, I don't think it's penetrating anywhere. I think this is just a mugs game with a group of politicos who, like you and me, follow this stuff. I think for, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Front Porch, 
I don't think they're tuned into this at the moment. I know that there's name recognition that's driving this, but I don't see, maybe I'm just in the wrong circles. I've got Facebook and I've got Twitter that I look at and stuff like that. And I see some stuff, but I don't see it anywhere else. Uh, Josh Matlow actually gave my house a robocall. And the only reason it went off was because Bell Canada, when I switched over uh, recently to them, gave me a landline for free. They actually said you can have the landline for free. And what you can do is you have unlimited North American long distance calls. Okay, well, I can call my relatives in some place and not get charged for it. But guess what? I'm sitting there working away at the dining room table the other day at my laptop and up. And I, I actually had to go to Value Village and get one of those old <laughs> machines where you can walk around. Remember, you know, it, it's the Panasonic ones. And so it's got a tape machine, not a tape machine, but it's got one of these things where you call and you can leave a message and you can hear it. And sure enough, right in the middle of the afternoon, hi, I'm Josh Matlow and I'm running for mayor. I hadn't heard anything like, so it's a landline that did it. But I, you know, I just, I just don't, I don't get a sense that there's, I don't get a sense that there's an election on in this city. Like there's a lot of buzz and a lot of, but I don't feel it on the ground. And where I get the insight is from my local dog park where I go and I listen to people. And what I get there is I wish there was someone else running than these clowns. That's what I get. I wish that I, I wish that uh, McKelvey, the deputy mayor, were running. She seems to be the adult in the room, and she's not going to run, you know, at all. So I, I really, as someone who's seen this for years, Dave, I appreciate the fact you were in the room. My wife was in the room the previous night and saw it as well, and came away with great impressions. But it's kind of like, call me a week before the election. Let me see where the campaigns have all unloaded because I don't really think right now any of this stuff matters, but anyways, but I, I, I value your opinion. And the reason is because you're the one talking about it and people listen to you. And I think that's going to sway people. Well, what was clear to me was, you know, people paid, you know, like it was a paid ticket to get into the board of trade show last night. And it was like 20 bucks or something. So it wasn't overly difficult, but, but there was a level of engagement there. So people who are putting money down to show up at an event into the evening, they're going to vote. There's no question about it. So they're engaged. And that's what struck me about it. But be, just before Keith weighs in on this, you know, you said that, that the pollsters are driving who gets on the stage. If you were a, an organizer of a debate, how would you decide who, who should well, be sitting on the podium? I had, a, I had a call from a very significant person in the network. This was a few weeks ago, and he called for my advice, but it turned out to be a bit of a one-sided argument. It wasn't me arguing, but it ended up being a justification for going by the polls. And I said, look, if it's all very subjective. If a pollster wants to put on four names, then that's who's going to be on your list. But we got 107, is it, or something like that? And if you're going to say it's the top 10, well, then you're going to get 10 on the list. Well, now it's eight or whatever. But you got a few things going on here. Number one, it's very subjective. So for the longest time, Anthony Fury was not on that list. And I'm I'm saying that I'm not an Anthony Fury committed person. And I have nothing to do with any of these campaigns. But I mean, he's been out there. He's got some, you know, former son columnist. He's got some presence and stuff like that. And he's not showing up on anything. Main Street's poll out this morning suddenly has him on it. And he's got 9%. And in order to get on the podium at the Board of Trade, you have to have 10 and if you factor in a margin of error on 400 people who are polled, 400 people uh, on a poll, that's a margin of error of six points. So he might as well be sitting at 15 as far as I'm concerned. So there's a whole issue here of who's making the call to put him on. And they say, there's the criteria. And that was the argument. And I said, wait a second. 
you got to do a quadrant. I mean, you got to look at the issues and sort of say, well, how much is the polling worth? Even if it's a third, there's that. But there's other criteria. What do they contribute? What are the new ideas? Because what we're ending up with is has-beens. And I'm not against experience, but I mean, there's no choice here of old, you know, trod, you know, there, there's no new ideas here. Day after day, I can tell you, it's about the TTC. It's about housing affordability. It's about a couple of other things. I got no new ideas to work with. It's like same old, same old stuff. So I, I guess the, the problem I have with all of this is one, we've allowed polls, three of them actually, who do robocalls. There's nothing wrong with methodologies, I guess. But they are the ones who can do it because it's cheap and no one's paying for this thing. And Angus Reid always said, unless the media's got some skin in the game, they don't give a shit. So charge them 5,000 bucks. Gary Slate paid me 5,000 bucks per election. And that's saying something right there. So, um, so, but the second, but the second thing is that we, we have a, a system of polling where there's no consortium. So the first argument right. was the poll's going to do this. And I said, well, maybe you have two nights or you have six and six and do, oh no, we can't do that because of revenue. We can't do two nights. Okay. And then I thought, you know, if we had a consortium, of the media who paid a minimum amount of money. There's a way in which you can do this without having percentages. You can actually have people have a vote and you do it with, with what are the numbers? I, I could go through a formula here, but it's based on votes. So if I do a 2000 sample, I can have people say, have you heard, read, or seen anything about these people? Do you recognize them? And if they say yes, they get to, they get to vote. But I take out the percentages and I just run it on, on how many people actually tally to vote. And then I can weight it and I can say, maybe if you are, uh, you could say that I'm very much likely want to vote for this person somewhat, not very much, not likely at all. I can give a hundred points for the first one. If you say very much, I can give somewhat 70 points. I can give 30 to not very much and then zero to not at all. And I add up those points. And so there's no margin of error and you end up with a ranked system. You end up, and you can put 20 names on it if all you want. But it takes some imagination rather than every robocall, every third day to, to look, look at the consistency. There isn't any up, down, here, there, you know, third. You tell me how Anna Bylaw inside of two weeks in this city has gone from nowhere to somewhere. Come on, 15 points in a spread now in like nowhere's time. Tell me what's driving her numbers. And well, I think I think this is just a measure of, of name recognition. Period. It's not about who who is. No, but even in that, but rich. But period. Yeah. I mean, so the more media talks about the polls, they hear Anna Bylaw's name coming up. This is this is a this is for the campaigns themselves. It becomes a, a mechanism for earned media. I mean, quite literally. Well, and that's why. And I could say in this city there was a lobbying effort. Um, and I, I had some sympathy for it saying to me, you know, you should be out there because you've got no skin in the game. You've done polling for a while. People will listen for you. Could you do an op-ed and sort of say this is democracy and, you know, and it's worse and the pollsters. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? If you take, I actually agree with them. I think this is really laziness. And I entirely, and I think yes. it deserves on so many levels. And as a resident of this city, they're now talking about 6% increases in tax. In fact, they came up yesterday, Olivia Chestnut talking about an income fricking tax. I mean, it's not just property tax. We're talking about people who can afford things and maybe we should do the test. We're not talking about that stuff. What are we talking about? Safety on the TTC for Christ's sake. I mean, there's, there's, we got to get some new ideas into this and nobody's taken on the federal or provincial government. The only one left there is some lone voice of the deputy mayor saying, hey guys, we need some help. Nobody else on that podium's taken anybody on because they're scared that they're going to 
you know, put their foot in it and get people who don't want to vote for them or, you know, the premier is going to tag people and say, don't vote for that person. But boy, oh boy, it's not the issues that people are wanting to hear about. Well, the, not all of them. Anyways. On, on the other hand, though, Keith, in terms of what people don't want to hear about, they they don't want to hear that the horizon is kind of scary. No. Um, in term, we're looking at a billion, a billion and a half dollar hole in the city of Toronto's annual budget, a $46 billion pressure over 10 years, and there is no way that anybody on that stage was prepared to address that in a meaningful way. That's going to mean some really hard choices in the next eight to 10 months, never mind eight to 10 years. Well, this is why I have trouble, as you do, believing that Olivia Chow can lead this wire to wire when she refuses to even say how much she wants to raise taxes. And as John said, talking about an income tax as well, um, hard choices are coming. We've got over half those candidates saying those hard choices absolutely involve uh, tax increases above the rate of inflation. Um, what are they going to spend this on? How are they going to make this better? How does that get to the billion dollar, or as you say, in a couple of years, it's a billion and a half dollar shortfall annually. Uh, it does take a whole new level of relationship with the uh, the provincial and federal governments. Or does it take, you know, maybe, maybe uh, Balao is onto something with this, you know, trying to get the province. I know they say they won't do it, but it's a valid point that the, the, the Gardner and the Don Valley should be provincial, should be run by the province, should be paid for by the province. That's a lot of money right there sitting on the table. I know that's an easy one, but it's at least a tangible idea from someone. But uh, to the point of addressing this flat up, we're going to increase your taxes and we're going to do it. Uh, basically, they said they were going to do it to address homelessness and to address the housing crisis, you know, build more rental and affordable housing. Really? Uh, I, I think the priorities have moved on from that. Like, first of all, we got to get the finances in order. And we have to get, again, to the safety issues and the public, the TTC. But we need some clear plans. Mitzi Hunter, to her credit, put out a fully detailed and costed plan. Uh, the uh, uh, tax, she's talking about tax increase, but at least she's moderating it to some degree, of just slightly above inflation. Uh, it, it's going to take, as you say, adults in the room. And the, the six people on stage last night were much more interested in pointing to their past histories about each. You, know, you, you didn't do this. You failed to do that. You were weak at this. And that's not certainly what a paying audience wanted to hear. They wanted to hear new ideas. Same with the rest of us. We want to hear some new ideas, and we're not hearing anything remotely in the way well, of Well, a ideas. dose of reality, though. Listen, folks, we're going to be in for a shit show. You think it's bad now. Yeah. We really have to brace ourselves for a difficult next five years. In Whoever's the mayor over the next three years, may only be a one-term mayor. I mean, if, 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 if in fact the mayor addresses everything that needs to be addressed, they're not going to be popular, but they're going to have to do some really hard things to get the city back on track. Well, they need inflation to do some basic or just things. above inflation in um, tax increase is not going to get as close to covering off that billion dollars. There's just not. No, services will have to be cut, but other ones are going to have to be prioritized. And I, I suggest that being getting the city clean again getting the basic garbage, all that sort of stuff that's all over the downtown streets. You've got CTV doing a two-part series on how disgusting and dirty downtown yeah. Toronto is. Yeah. Um, that's not the normal media story about Toronto, is it? Well, and also This is where we've evolved to, and this is the reality. And CTV is not some, you know, small-town station. Dude, this is serious network, double two-night airtime on how bad the city has deteriorated in the course. Well, you know what? Serious, serious. And the serious. other part of this 
point is that we we don't have a return to the core. I mean, the city's going to hollow out into people on social services, old people, and hospitals. I mean, the corporations, there's 40% still less foot traffic than there was before. We still have hybrid, and it's not going to be solved by a bunch of banks saying, you got to be in the office four days a week. I mean, I was just, at, as I said, I was in Ottawa this week. You want to look at, see what the Spark Street Mall looks like. 70% of the stores on the Spark Street Mall are papered up. There's nobody mm-hmm. downtown. There's The civil servants are now permanently at home. Might as well just write it off. And, it's, and what it does is it creates a lack of revenue, so they can't do the things to make it look better and nobody wants to go there you know it's just, it's a terrible circumstance i think from a leverage point of view the federal and provincial governments don't want to hand any money over to anybody until somebody's a mayor like you just don't want to do that but okay so that's fine but, but god knows i wonder geez wonder where the finance minister's writing is I mean, honestly, I mean, you've got the finance minister of the country and Tony Rosedale, who hasn't said a peep about anything on to do with the deficit. I hope at the end of the day, whether it's Chow or somebody else who, who leaves, you know, as elected mayor, somebody freaking ponies up. Well, it, it again, there's a really difficult conversation that has to be had here. And, and again, more than a mature conversation with the people who live in this city and this region, because... As goes Toronto, goes the rest of the province and the rest of the country at this stage. I mean, you're going to feel the ripple out where you are, Keith, if, if all of a sudden Toronto's in a, in a spiral. Oh, no. Toronto's economy, it, it takes everything down with it. Absolutely. It's just the way that Canada works. Uh, and the rest of Canadians know it, too. It's, it, let's just face reality. So this city needs some serious, serious management, fiscal management, and as you say, tough, tough decisions. Some services are going to have to be cut. And there's, you know, they're, they're debating about whether they can uh, open up contracting out of city contracts. And oh my God, isn't this debate? Didn't I hear that debate in like 1993? Well, they're still uh, debating the gardener and what they're going to do with it, and uh, based on a decision from 2015. Yeah. And you know, God bless them. But you know, Josh Matlow keeps banging that drum. We're just going to knock it down and put it at grade. And if I, I don't want to get into the details, but he tends to think that this is going to save money. There isn't, this has gone through council, I don't know how many times, and the motion that he puts forward keeps getting defeated. Now, here's the guy who says, I'm not going to use strong mayor powers. The only way he could get that done is with strong mayor powers. So the bullshit off the side of your desk kind of shiny thing over there is not dealing with the harsh reality of what this city is facing. You know what? We need need more three Ps, like that Metrolinx thing, right? We need more. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Well, uh, seriously, the TTC and those two highways are billions of dollars. No, that no, should entirely. be being funded. Yep. No other transit system runs without <laughs> other levels of government funding. None. Anywhere. This is ridiculous. Those those basic core things, but it's going to take literally a strong mayor with more than strong mayor powers to convince the province that this needs to be done. Annually. Like, otherwise, you're going to face this annually, and it's only going to get worse for a city that's legally not allowed to run a deficit. So how's yeah. that going to work? Yeah. Uh, and and again, all this will uh, will kick in, but we'll just we'll just uh, kind of recap the way this conversation has gone. In stage one, we say nothing is going to happen. Stage two, we say something may be going to happen, but we should do nothing about it. In stage three, we say that maybe we should do something about it, but there's nothing we can do. <laughs> stage four, we say maybe there was something we could have done, but it's too late. Now. We've tried nothing, and we're all 
lot of ideas. There you go. And that was that was about the foreign <laughs> policy debate. But you, Sir Humphrey, when he talks about polls, that is a classic. You got to listen to that <laughs> one. Yes, Minister. Guys, listen, have a good weekend. It's always good to talk to you. Keith Leslie, John Wright, I'm Dave Trafford, and this is On the Ledge, your Ontario politics podcast for Story Studio Network. This is SSN. Story Studio Network.